Hello and welcome to the BitBlock Boom Podcast. I'm your host, Gary Leland, producer of the BitBlock Boom Bitcoin Conference. And just for reference, I also produce the 4-Minute Bitcoin Podcast, available everywhere podcasts are available. Now, every August, I host the BitBlock Boom Bitcoin Conference in Dallas, Texas, with the help of many of my friends. If you are interested in Bitcoin, you really need to visit bitblockboom.com and take a look at the great speaker lineup and all the events that are going on around BitBlockBoom. You see, BitBlockBoom is a true Bitcoin conference, and I really mean a true Bitcoin conference. On this episode of the BitBlockBoom podcast, I'm featuring a session from the 2020 conference by Jeff Vandrew Jr. Let's take a listen. BitBlockBoom! I hope I'm not blowing away anybody's eardrums. Usually... At these events, when there's no recording, I decline the microphone and I just shout. So I'll try to adjust myself accordingly and to not get too passionate about such a, uh, I guess, a passion-inducing topic such as U.S. taxation of Bitcoin, right? (laughs) So with that, let's get started here. Um, First thing that it's important to know is that Bitcoin in the United States is treated as property under the under the tax code. And there's actually no statutory authority for this, nor is there any formal regulatory authority for this. So when we talk about formal regulatory authority in the context of US taxation, we're talking about treasury regulations. Those are regulations issued by the Department of Treasury to interpret the Internal Revenue Code. You won't find anything about Bitcoin as property in either of those places. That concept is solely based on the IRS's best interpretation of existing law as applied to the facts that they stand today. And they gave that interpretation in IRS Notice 2014-21. That's where they outlined their legal rationale for treating Bitcoin as property. One interesting question about that, since this was only propagated by an IRS notice, not by a treasury regulation and certainly not by a statute, is whether or not this concept is entitled to Chevron deference. So Chevron deference is a legal term that means, uh, you know, you have a statute that's passed by Congress and that's the law. Um, an administrative agency may issue regulations interpreting that statute. Treasury regulations would be one example of this. Um, and if you decide to sue the government to say that their administrative interpretation, their regulation, um, is not a proper interpretation of the statute, the burden of proof is on you. The government is entitled to what's called Chevron deference, which I won't go too far into, but it basically just means so long, is that so long as their interpretation isn't arbitrary, the, the courts will accept it as correct. But one big unanswered question is because this is not formal regulatory guidance, it did not go through a notice and comment period or anything like that, is it entitled to Chevron deference? Um, that's sort of an academic question, I guess, right now, because I believe that as things stand currently, people do typically use Bitcoin predominantly as investment property. So if you were to fought, try to sue the government to have this notice, uh, the interpretation of this notice overturned, I don't think you'd have very much success. I do think that it's proper. But what's interesting about it is if in the future Bitcoin is starting to be used as more of a currency-like um, item within everyday transactions, when will the IRS change their position? And if they don't voluntarily change, will that happen through the court system? And 
if, if that happens at some point in the future, Chevron deference would actually become a pretty big issue. So a little theoretical detour there. Okay. I'm clicking, but it is not going. Battery's dead, maybe? Anybody out there? Yeah, I think somebody clicked for me, though, right? Thanks. Okay, in the meantime, while we're getting the clicker taken care of there, uh, we're going to talk about a few different things that are potential, ta potential taxable events for Bitcoin. So the first thing you need to know is uh, acquisitions, uh, so different ways you might acquire Bitcoin. First, if you acquire Bitcoin in exchange for services, let's say you, you do some web design for someone and they pay you in Bitcoin, what happens? Well, it's ordinary income at your ordinary tax rates. So if you get one Bitcoin in exchange for doing some design work, and at the time you design that Bitcoin, uh, it's worth 10 grand, you have $10,000 of ordinary business income just as if you had been paid in dollars. But what you need to know is that amount of, of ordinary income that you received then becomes what's called your tax basis in the coin. So you have $10,000 of ordinary income, that $10,000 then uh, is going to become your tax basis, which we're going to talk about a little later. If the recipient is a natural person, a uh, natural person is the funny way that us tax lawyers talk about human beings as opposed to a corporation, because a corporation is also a person. So when we want to limit what we're talking to uh, to go to natural persons, um, we're, then we, we actually use the term natural person there. Um, so it looks like we're getting the clicker back up here. Yeah, no problem. All right. All right. We're good now. So, uh, yeah. So in the case of a natural person receiving Bitcoin as like an independent contractor, in addition to paying income tax on that, just like if you receive dollars for your services, you have to pay uh, self-employment tax. Self-employment tax is basically your Social Security and Medicare contributions as a self-employed person. Um, if you're an employee and you get paid in Bitcoin, it goes on your W-2, just like if, as if you were paid in dollars. Uh, and all the normal taxes have to be withheld and all the normal stuff applies. And again, in any of these situations, the amount of ordinary income that you recognize, whether on your W-2 as an employee or on your tax return as an independent contractor, that becomes your tax basis going forward, a concept that's going to be important later. One thing i got to go back to here, uh, because we skipped it with our clicker issues, I think most people know that if you acquire Bitcoin by purchasing it, whether by purchasing it from somebody or purchasing it on an exchange maybe, uh, that is not a taxable event. A purchase is never a taxable event. And the purchase price becomes your tax basis in your Bitcoin. All right, we're back on track here. So what's another way that you could possibly acquire Bitcoin? That would be mining, right? So mining is generally treated as the same as receiving Bitcoin in exchange for services. So all those same rules that, about recognition of ordinary income at the fair market value in dollar terms that we just discussed, all that stuff applies for a mined Bitcoin the same way it does uh, for a Bitcoin that you got paid for 
like I said in that example, doing some web design work. Um, if your mining is sufficiently infrequent, it may not rise to the level of a trade or business and therefore not be subject to self-employment tax. That self-employment tax is your Social Security and Medicare contributions. This is not a bright line test. It's very subjective about how much work and time and effort you have to be putting in in order for your mining to be considered a trade or business. But again, regardless of whether or not it's a trade or business for you, uh, anything that you receive from mining, you're still going to pay tax at ordinary income rates at the U.S. dollar value as it stood on the date that you received it. Another way you could acquire Bitcoin are bona fide gifts. Does anybody gift their family members Bitcoin? Are you that annoying person? I, I am, right? So uh, kids' birthdays, right back in back. I'm very old, uh, so I'm almost 40. Believe it or not, back when I was a kid, my family members used to give me the paper savings bonds. You remember the, you, you, they're not even around anymore. You can't even get those. Yeah, Gary's raising his hand back there. Gary's one of the few guys here older than me. Um, so now what I, what I do with my family members is now that paper savings bonds are gone, I give them a little paper uh, wallet with, you know, 20 bucks worth of Bitcoin on there or something like that. Uh, little kids' birthdays, things of that nature. I even, make, I even give it to my friends' kids, uh, you know, make them get involved in all this stuff. So when you, when, you, uh, when you acquire Bitcoin via a bona fide gift, so a bona fide gift is one where there's true donative intent. It means that you're not receiving anything of value in exchange for the gift. Uh, there, and any quid pro quo is always going to be evidence against bona fide gift. If you do a bona fide gift, the recipient does not have a taxable event. The recipient does not recognize any income. However, the recipient gets carryover basis from the donor. So the recipient's tax basis is not the value of the Bitcoin on the day that he received it, as it is with the other methods of acquisition. It's essentially the donor's old basis from when the donor bought it. So I'll give you a real-life example here. If I buy a Bitcoin for $10,000 and I give that Bitcoin to my niece, uh, at, on the day I give my, the Bitcoin to my niece, let's say it's worth $12,000, her tax basis is $10,000, not $12,000. It's a carryover basis for me. And then the donor, who's me in this case, that gave the Bitcoin to my niece, if I give her, if my total gifts to her are more than $15,000 over the course of the year, I need to file a gift tax return. That doesn't necessarily mean I'll owe any gift tax because I have uh, an $11 million lifetime gift tax exemption. All Americans have that. Uh, but I still have to file the gift tax return if I go over that threshold to alert the government that I've eaten up a part of my lifetime exemption. Fork and airdrop acquisitions are tricky because the IRS put out guidance on this that was really unclear and poorly written. It was very obviously written by someone that didn't understand what a fork was, an airdrop was, or the distinction between the two. Um, so we're left to interpret this poorly written guidance as best we can. So all I can do in a short presentation is give you my interpretation of this guidance, which I do believe is the majority interpretation. Um, you have ordinary income on receipt of the forked coins. So if you held Bitcoin on the Bitcoin cash fork date, on that fork date, you had ordinary income equal to the value of Bitcoin cash on that date. Bitcoin cash did have a, a market value on that date. It was trading. Um, receipt you know, that's the whole key. You recognize the income on receipt of the forked coins. Generally, looking at it, they, the IRS hasn't given a Bitcoin specific answer to this, but looking at other areas of the law, 
I would assume, and most people would assume, that receipt is generally held to be when you have dominion and control over the coins. So even if you never took any action to move your Bcash, let's say, on that fork date, you had dominion and control over that Bcash on that date. So that would have been the date where you recognize the income. And as I said there, normally that dominion and control date is going to be the fork date. But one exception to that is going to be the... Uh, custodially held coins, right? Because if, if you don't hold the coins, you're not going to get dominion and control over those coins until that custodian chooses to give you dominion and control over those coins. Um, so the classic example of this is the Coinbase Bcash nightmare, where Coinbase delayed crediting their all their customers with Bcash until essentially Bcash was at the all-time high. Uh, so they, these people all ended up with ordinary income equal to the value of Bcash when it was at its all-time high, and it crashed shortly thereafter. So when they sold it, they had a capital loss, which you're, we're going to see a little later on, you cannot use to offset all that ordinary income. So Coinbase hold the Bcash had a real nightmare there. Uh, dispositions of Bitcoin are always going to, for the most part, be a taxable event. So if a disposition, the classic disposition would be a sale. Uh, Long-term disposition would be one that's held greater than a year. Um, that is taxed at favorable tax rates, either 0%, 15%, 18.8, or 23.8, depending on your tax bracket and your other individual factors. A short-term capital gain is one where you held your coins for less than a year. That is going to be taxed at just ordinary income tax rates, so far less favorably. So, classic sale for U.S. dollars, you go onto an exchange, you sell a coin, the difference between the sale price and your basis that we've been talking about all this time, that's going to be your capital gain or loss. And that'll be short-term or long-term, depending on your holding period. Uh, dispositions, you might make a payment for goods or services. So, you might pay someone else for web design in Bitcoin, right? That's a disposition. That's a deemed sale for U.S. dollars. So if I pay you one Bitcoin for a web design job that would normally cost ten grand, that's a deemed sale of my one Bitcoin for $10,000. Um, you have a capital gain or loss depending on my cost basis in that Bitcoin, just like any other sale. If the underlying expense is a deductible business expense for me, um, then I would, using that hypothetical, be able to write off that $10,000 as a web design expense, just like, any, just like I had paid for it, just as if I had paid for it in dollars. And payments to subcontractors, which would require a Form 1099, uh, still require a 1099, regardless of whether you pay in Bitcoin or dollars. So, inventory dispositions. This is a rare situation that's rarely going to apply, but... If you are a Bitcoin dealer, like let's say in the old days you were like a really active user of uh, local Bitcoins to the point where it was like an actual business for you. Um, again, this is a subjective test on how active you have to be. But you would be actually considered a dealer in Bitcoin and Bitcoin is then considered your inventory. Um, if you're in that situation and Bitcoin is considered inventory to you because you're a dealer in Bitcoin, you, uh, it's, it's not a capital asset, so your gains and losses are ordinary rather than capital. 
So that means that any gains are taxed at ordinary income rates. Any losses can use, be used to offset all your other income because they're not capital losses. Dispositions to charity. This is a really good thing that not enough people take advantage of. If you give a Bitcoin to charity, as long as you've held that Bitcoin for over a year, you still get a full deduction at the full fair market value of that Bitcoin. On top of getting the deduction, you do not recognize any capital gain. So if you have an old coin that you bought for 300 bucks, you can take that coin, donate it to a charity, you get a $10,000 and you don't have to worry about the $7,000 capital gain that's eliminated. And then if you want, you can just go buy a new Bitcoin that you now have a fresh $10,000 basis in. So that sort of donate and replace strategy for higher basis that I mentioned at the bottom of the slide there, that's a really good tax strategy that not nearly enough people take advantage of. If you're doing charitable giving anyway, it's kind of a no-brainer. Um, it's a really, really smart strategy. What you do need to know is if you give over $5,000 of Bitcoin, you need to get what's called a qualified appraisal. Um, it has to be done by an appraiser that is licensed by the IRS. This is required for any donations of any asset that are essentially not a publicly traded security, which Bitcoin is not. Um, these appraisals are not that expensive. Like I know a guy that does them. If you, if you are in this situation and you need a referral to an appraiser, let me know. Um, if it's only Bitcoin you're doing, the appraisal is like usually 500 bucks. Um, so it's like, it's, it's not the end of the world, but just be aware. It only applies if you go over that $5,000 limit. Um, so when you're making a disposition, how do you know which one of your Bitcoins you sold, right? The default rule is FIFO, meaning anytime you sell or otherwise dispose of a Bitcoin, it's deemed to be the oldest Bitcoin you have in, deter in determining what your cost basis was in that Bitcoin. However, under the new IRS online Q&As, which are, again, like not a treasury regulation, but we're sort of allowed to rely on them, specific identification is allowed with correct records, meaning if you don't want to do that FIFO, you can spend a specific Bitcoin that you know the tax basis in that specific Bitcoin. So according to the IRS rules, to, to get out of that default and to do specific identification, you would need a disposition by a specific pri private key, public key, or address, or by records showing the transaction information for all units of a specific virtual currency held in a single account, wallet, or address. I don't really know exactly what that means, uh, other than the fact that you're probably in good shape so long as you have specific records of your basis and you can kind of tie it to which coin. The best way to comply with this, the only way that I know that you could definitely comply with it, is if you're disposing a specific UTXO um, using like coin selection, because then it's very obvious as to which coin you know, you're disposing of. Tricky situations tax-wise here. One of them would be mismatches. So you receive one Bitcoin for services. At the time you receive that Bitcoin, it's worth $10,000. You get, by the time you sell that Bitcoin later in the year, it's only worth $5,000. Well, for the reasons we just talked about, you have $10,000 of ordinary income and a $5,000 capital loss. Those, however, do not offset because capital gains can only be used 
against cap. I mean, excuse me, capital losses can only be used against capital gains. They can't be used against ordinary income, except for three up to three thousand dollars a year. Um, so you'd be in a lousy situation in that that capital loss is not lost forever. It carries forward indefinitely until you have capital gains that you can use against it. But in the year where this situation happened, you're not in a great tax situation. It's a good case for using specific identification to make sure you don't get yourself in a hairy spot here. The other, the, the worst time when this probably ever came up was the Coinbase debacle uh, that I just described before, where people got their Coinbase uh, coins at the uh, their Coinbase Bcash at the all-time high. And then by the time that, that they actually got around to selling it, it had like completely crashed and they ended up getting in a really bad situation. Um, or even if you, when you got that Bcash, if you didn't sell it, if you just exchanged it for more Bitcoin, uh, that is considered a deemed sale of the Bcash followed by a purchase for Bitcoin. So that's also a taxable event. So if you had $5,000 worth of Bcash, you swapped it for Bitcoin, that's treated as if you sold your Bcash for $5,000, turned around and used the profits to buy Bitcoin. That's how it's treated for tax purposes. Last thing that I want to mention here, I guess before we start getting to the question and answer segment, if there are any, hopefully there will be. Um, my actual job, which I didn't want to talk about too much because I didn't want to make this a giant advertisement, is uh, KeyKeeper IRA, right? So that's a way that you can hold Bitcoin within your IRA um, and while still being able to hold your own keys. So unlike other Bitcoin IRA products out there that are custodial, this one allows you to hold your own keys. Advantage to this, you can buy Bitcoin, sell Bitcoin, rebalance between Bitcoin and other investments all you want, unlimited. You don't even have to track your basis because it's all tax-free. Um, everything's tax-free. And if you do it as a Roth IRA, not only is it tax-free while you're buying and selling or doing whatever you're doing, but it's also tax-free when you, after you retire and you pull those assets out to spend them. The other great part about this is a lot of you out there probably have like an old 401k sitting around from an old job or whatever the case might be. You can roll it into something like this tax-free, get out of stocks, bonds, whatever you want to get out of and use it to buy and hold Bitcoin instead. That's the end. So uh, with that, I will turn it over and see if anybody has any questions. If you could, the, they would prefer that you do questions at the mic in the back only because they're trying to record it. Sorry, man. Thank you so much for your, I was going to say sermon, but um, I run a nonprofit in Africa. Okay. And I got a little confused. I got a little confused on donations. Like I'm, I'm signed up with BitGive Foundation, and you said 5,000 was the max. And then, and then what happens after that? You need an appraisal. Uh, so before you file your tax return, you're, you're just going to have to get a qualified appraisal. And attach that to your tax return. So that would cost not me as a nonprofit. It would cost the donor that. Yeah, it's, you don't have to worry about it. The donor is going to come back to you at the. So are the donations? They're run through BitGive. You said. 
I'm so brand new. I, I this is my first Bitcoin anything, and uh, okay. someone's helping me sign up on BitGive. So I don't know. The paperwork on this might be actually handled by BitGive, not you. Oh. Uh, I you'd have to talk to them about that. Okay. However, either way, whichever one of you it is, you do not have to get the appraisal. The taxpayer does, who was taking the deduction. There is paperwork that you will have to sign, but it's their responsibility to give it to you guys to sign, whether that's BitGive or you guys. Um, whoever the appropriate 501c3 is that's um, receiving the donation, yeah. along with the appraisal, that taxpayer has to attach a specific signed statement to their return. Okay, so last question. Uh, we One of our most popular donations is to build a home for a widow. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's five grand on my website right now. Should I put it at 4999? <laughs> You'd actually, if you did, I mean, you'd be doing your donors a favor because okay. they wouldn't need the appraisal. Yeah. Gotcha. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. And then I have a question. And by the way, sorry, before I go any further, sorry, Tone. Sorry. Right. Uh, one other thing. None of this is tax advice. This is educational only. You can't, you can't rely on this. Go, go ahead. I should have led with that. I was like, I'm a lawyer. It's Jesus. This is horrible. Yeah. Go ahead. So... So this is one that's always been debated whether it is or isn't a taxable event because yeah. I have no idea how Coinbase does stuff. But if you say buy from Coinbase yeah. and then within the same year, say six months later, you withdraw from Coinbase to your own Trezor. Yeah. And then two years later, what happens? And my view has always been the only logical way is that it's a taxable event the moment you withdraw because Coinbase doesn't know where you are withdrawing it. And it's going to be hard to prove a negative later on that you still have it versus you lost it in a boating accident. So how does it work? Uh, if you withdraw from Coinbase six months later, do they report that to the IRS that you made X amount in capital gains, or are you on the hook for this in a letter three years down the line? Yeah, it's a good question. So there's a lot of confusion around that uh, from, from I find from clients. So we have to uh, separate out the difference between a taxable event and a reportable event, that, like something that actually needs to be reported by Coinbase to the IRS. So it, whenever you withdraw over specific thresholds um, that, uh, that you don't have to worry about because they only apply to Coinbase, Coinbase is going to send you what's called a 1099K reporting that. That 1099K does not mean you have taxable income. Um, the IRS knows that it does not mean you have taxable income. It's just based on the amount that you withdrew. It's basically a warning to the IRS that you may have taxable income. A withdrawal out of Coinbase to your own private wallet is never taxable income. It's not a disposition. It's not a sale. Just like coin joining your own coins is not a taxable transaction. It's not a disposition. It's not a sale. You're just moving to a different address. Um, in the event you got audited, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting question uh, in terms of proving that it's not a disposition. You would just have to show, I mean, there really is not a great way for you to show that you have control over an address, right? Because you're not going to show your private key um, and there's no authority for the IRS to request that. Nonetheless, that is the law as it stands today. I mean, you can transfer, you can shift stuff around in addresses all you want. You can shift it from a custodial solution like Coinbase to your own personal hardware wallet or whatever, and those are not taxable transactions. Um, yes. Based on the uh, idea that tax filing is voluntary, <clears throat> um, are you aware of any condition where the IRS decided to 
see if you were properly reporting by querying the blockchain, um, trying to find specific UTXOs, and in your opinion, do you think they're even technologically capable to do that? Yeah, well, based on those presentation slides that came out, like I guess maybe six months to a year ago, um, it seems they have the technical capability to do it. I haven't seen it um, because it seems at the current time that they're using that against criminals. Like it's more of a to track criminal activity more, than, more so than to track retail investors. However, here's what I will tell you. Do you guys, did any of you guys quick show it? Well, and forget that you're gonna dox yourselves. But uh, some people in here probably got Coinbase letters. Uh, uh, what was that like last year? Former Coinbase users got a letter because the IRS was able to get your information from that John Doe subpoena. I could tell you that right before I flew out here, I had a client get, they must be doing a second round of those Coinbase letters. It was the same one, but he got one again. Um, so I don't know if that means they're going to, that's indicative of a change. If they're going to start stepping up their use of that technology, I don't know. But all I can tell you is, uh, if you got a Coinbase letter last time, you might get a second one when you get, <laughs> when you fly home, uh, next week or something like that. So, yeah. So... This is my interpretation, but it seems like this is optimized for things that like um, will appreciate in value. So I'd be curious to hear any like clever gotchas of other customers using it in ways other than Bitcoin for for appreciating value things. Uh, the um, I, the IRA you're talking about? Yes. The IRA product? Yeah. Um, so honestly, one of the best things you can use it for that's not Bitcoin related is anything with that earns interest income because interest income is taxed at ordinary rates unlike dividends and capital gains. So typically interest income is really disfavorable for that reason. Uh, so I have a lot of clients that use it for things like private lending, like they'll finance part of a private mortgage, like stuff of that nature, because then they get all of this ordinary interest income off their uh, taxable income. And then you can... And so you can use this for a bunch of things. Like it's, it's, you can yeah. set it up as a basic Bitcoin thing, or it can be multiple... Yeah, people use it for private lending, real estate, um, non-public investments like hedge funds, uh, all, pretty much anything you can imagine that doesn't violate the prohibited transaction rules, which are pretty minimal. I would go more into the prohibited transaction rules, but I only have time for one more question. According uh, to the time. Uh, well, I don't want to steal it, but uh, what, like, how can you do this as a not? <laughs> how can you do this as anonymously as possible? Like when you say when you say like they're gonna ask you for where you got the Bitcoin from, is it like? Bro, just tell me where you got it and like. What do you mean if you you're know, audited? I bought it. I bought it from my dude on the street. If you're audited, you mean? Yeah, like. Uh, so yeah, I mean. Just give no us give us worst case scenario. Yeah, I mean, if you're audited and you have to prove where you received your Bitcoin, Bitcoin, it's just whatever records you have. I mean, there's no uh, there's no hard and fast answer to that that I can give you. I mean, audit documentation is not um, it's not statutory. You just have to roll with what you got. I mean, if you bought it from a guy on the street, I would say at least have a matching cash, cash withdrawal you know, from your bank account. That's probably, is that legally required? No, but it's gonna help you uh, in an audit. These, are, these things are very subjective. And if you end up in a situation where you provide all the documentation that could be possible 
under the circumstances and the auditor still doesn't buy your story, I mean, that's what tax court's for. Um, you know, I don't practice in tax court, but a judge determines what's reasonable under the circumstances. And there's only so much that can be reasonable with something like Bitcoin where by its nature, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's non-custodial. So with that, I know there's a lot, of, lot more people in the back lined up with questions, but there are other presenters today. So what I'm gonna do is I am gonna hang around. I'll be here all day, I'll be outside. Just do not hesitate to come up to me and ask me whatever questions you guys might have, all right? Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the BitBlock Boom podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and share the podcast with your friends. Make sure and take a look at this year's lineup of speakers at bitblockboom.com. And if you use the code COUSINS, that's C-O-U-S-I-N-S, when purchasing your conference tickets, you'll receive 30% off the price of a general admission ticket. I hope to meet you at next year's BitBlock Boom Conference in Dallas, Texas, and thanks for listening. Bit Black Boom! Let's go!